Good to see all you here today. We are in a series uh, called The Story, and this story uh, that we are talking through is the account that God has given us in Scripture. So we've been going from the beginning all the way to the end, and we'll finish off the end uh, later on this school semester. Um, but we're in a, in a very familiar part, especially if you grew up in church land. You know the Gospels. You know some of the key stories of Jesus' life. Um, but we, what we, as we've been going through this, we've been talking through the birth of Jesus, the, the, the actual man of Jesus, and we see at his baptism this is amazing picture of, of God showing up in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in one location. And Jesus getting baptized, you hear the voice of the Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And that was a big deal for Jesus' disciples to know that. And then, and Jesus, as he's going through his ministry, he's continuing to showcase his kingdom and that his kingdom is radically different. I mean, he's, he's out there. He's got the ability to calm the waters with the word. And, and so this Jesus was clearly someone different. And all the way through, these guys are picking up on the fact that this Jesus this Jesus could be the Messiah. We, we know that he's a Messiah. We know that he's, he's actually, he's someone who's anointed by God to do something special. But, but we're picking up on the fact that maybe he's more than just a Messiah. Maybe perhaps he is even the Messiah. So as we've been going through the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing in on the man of Jesus, the message of Jesus, which leads us to this week, which is the mission of Jesus. And the question that the disciples were asking that, that, that they really wanted to know the answer to was, what is the mission? Like, what, was, what is it? Like, help, help us understand what the mission is, because if you can tell us what your mission is, we can do it. We, again, we're your disciples. And remember, if a disciple is following a rabbi, there's someone who's following the footprints of that guy so close, they want to mimic his actions, they want to know how he votes, how he, how, what his perspective is on food, how he looks at the Bible, everything they want to mirror because when that rabbi is gone, the reason they're disciples is that they're going to be able to pick up the baton and be a rabbi just like that guy. And so Jesus calls these super, super unqualified disciples to follow him because he believes that through him, they actually could do what he's doing. And so he's, he's guiding them along and they're following him as a rabbi and he's teaching in them. And, and the, the, the key thing is, what is he teaching him? What, 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 is, uh, what is the mission, the ultimate mission of Jesus? And that's the frustrating thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't spell it out formulaically. Like, we would dig that in the Western world. We would love it if Jesus would just, like, spell it out and say point one, point two, point three. But Jesus instead really showcases his mission in showing what it's against. He showcases his mission in showing what it stands in the face of, what, what it's greater than. Uh, to help his disciples know what the mission is, he wants to help them know what his mission is bigger or stronger than. When I was uh, in fifth grade, I made one of the dumbest moves of my life. And you guys know me and heard some of my stories, and there's, there's a, a vast catalog of dumb decisions, but this one was a really, really dumb decision. Uh, my school was going on a field trip, and field trips were like the best. Like if you're in school right now, aren't, they're still, are they still awesome? Yes? There's only some people like, no, we should be in school studying. Weirdos. All the rest of us, like, you could, you're legally allowed to be off campus. And it was always fun. And, and there's always something, like, something mischievous you could do. And you're on the bus. And, and, and in Southern California, we would go to the Museum of Science and Industry or, or a, some other museum or one of the missions, the, 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 the Spanish missions. And so this particular day, we were going to the Santa Barbara mission. And the thing that in, in Southern California especially that we were – 
informed about is, here's the deal, you don't want to, don't mix with any other schools, not just because we don't want to lose you, but because we're afraid of losing you. There's enough gang, like, conflicts between different gangs and different gangs represented geographically by different schools that if you actually intermingle, this could be deathly. So stay with our group, don't mingle with another group, don't talk to them. That was kind of part and parcel for what we were supposed to do, which is fine until you're asked to eat lunch in a park where several schools are choosing to choose the same park to have lunch in. And all of a sudden, I'm face to face with this group of guys from a different school, and these guys were talking smack to me. Not only were they talking smack to me, these guys happened to be in a gang. And I made the decision to talk smack back. <laughs> now, I just want you to, you, you can already envision this, but I just want you to envision this, okay? It's this little whitey Errol with zero ability to back up anything I'm saying to these guys, and I'm talking smack, and then they'd say something back, and I'm like, oh, I've got so much, so, something so much smarter to say back to them, and I did it, and, I'm like, and they're like, and I'm like, oh, wow, that really registered, and I kept on going, and, choo, 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 choo. and then I started bringing it into talking about his mom, and, and it was just sort of one of those things where, again, I'm looking back, and going, what were you thinking? But I thought it was hilarious, and I like talking back and forth. Now, these guys wanted to rip my face off and they could have, but they didn't lay a hand on me. They didn't touch a bit of this. <laughs> Do you know why? You probably already know why. John Rodriguez. John Rodriguez, a foot and a half taller than anyone else in that whole park was in our school, and John Rodriguez was my friend. And John Rodriguez was not in a gang but his cousins were, and his cousins were behind John Rodriguez. So I'm standing, talking smack, talking about these guys, poor mom, and I'm talking to about, you know, talking smack, bam, 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 and these guys want to rip my face off, but they're not because John Rodriguez, a foot and a half taller, standing right next to me, and all of his cousins are behind John Rodriguez. Jesus was doing this with the disciples. He's saying this. I am sending you into a world with a mission where people want to, will want to rip your face off. But my mission is stronger than them. The thing I'm sending you into the world is not going to be well received. In fact, it's going to be offensive to them. But you need to know that what's the worst that they can do? Kill you? My mission is even greater than that. Even if you die, and many of you will because of me, my mission will actually be triumphant. Jesus is communicating. Listen, you're not going into this thing where it's going to be easy, but I want to let you know that whatever you face, whatever you encounter, whatever you engage because of my mission, my mission is greater than that. It stands in the face of that. So go boldly. And one of the first things he informed his disciples that his, his mission stood in the face of was the face of hell. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 8. If you've got uh, your copy of the story, it's right there at the beginning of chapter 25. And Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip of his own. It's a two-week field trip from Galilee up to this particular area. And uh, it's important. Whenever Scripture lays out like a town or, or a, like it tells you what town they're going to, that's important. As people who live in Illinois, we, we, don't, we just like read right through it because we're like, I don't know where that is. I don't care. But it's important. And, and the, the writers of the Gospels wanted us to know so that we could investigate why are they mentioning where they went? Why was that important that we know the town they were going to? 
right here at the beginning. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around where? Caesarea Philippi. Okay, flag that. That's important. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? So they're on a two-week trip on up here. They're hiking, right? They're hiking on the way up. And so along the way, Jesus is talking with the disciples who are learning. Look, I got to keep in step with this guy's footprints. I'm listening to what he's teaching. And now when he asks us questions, we have to think about the response. Who do people say that I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. Ah, but what about you? What are you who, do, who do you say that I am? Jesus is communicating, look, I know that I, I am crazy popular right now. The world, our world, the world that you guys grew up in, everybody know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a household name, and you guys all know about it, and you guys feel this is super cool because we're on the inside loop of this guy who's like a household name, and, and you think that this is just going to get, I'm exploding, but people have got a ton of opinions about who I am or what I've come to do. Who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter has his shining moment. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus just solves a 3,000-year-old puzzle by identifying the one the prophets talked about. You're not just a anointed person from God. God's going to do some cool things for you. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. Now, now, Mark doesn't pick up Jesus' response directly to Peter, but Matthew does. Matthew's account right after that says this. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the moment. I don't know if you were that kid in class that you never got anything right. Like if your teacher asked four people to come up in front of the class and work out a math problem, you were the only one who's like, because eh, that was me. But if, if that was you, if you were the one who never got anything right in class, there was that one moment where the teacher asked a question that you knew. And so you're like, yes. And you raise your hand and they call on you and you actually got it right and everyone's about ready to pass out because they can't believe it. And you're like, I just wish that my mom was here. I wish that my grandma was here. All the haters, I wish they could just hear that the teacher said I was right. That This is Peter's one time. And it's like, it's epic. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's right, you are Peter. Uh, that's right, Peter, you're, you're correct in, in that. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it's important, again, for us to remember the, the fact, for context, where Jesus was talking, where Jesus was talking to his disciples. Like, like where, where, did you, where did it say that Jesus was going to? What was the town they were in, up in? Caesarea Philippi. Um, this is Caesarea Philippi in the first century. Um, it was a Roman colony. Um, actually, prior, that was a new name um, that, that, they, that the Roman government imposed upon the area so in honor of Caesar and then Philip, the representative. Um, so Caesarea Philippi was previously called Bonaeus or Peneus. Um, Peneus is, comes from the, from the god Pan, the mythological god Pan. And Pan, like they loved Pan in this town. Pan was a shepherd god. When we think of Pan, who do we think of? Peter Pan, right? And, and Peter Pan, he like flies around and, and what, does he, what does he play? Little flute. Yeah, it's adorable. It's Disney. But it's way sketchier than that. Uh, and because there's some small children here, I'm going to PGify this. But um, Pan was a mythological god who really liked the ladies too much and would pursue them, even if they weren't interested in him, too much. 
And one mythological story has Pan pursuing one particular uh, sprite or fairy, and as he's pursuing this mythological figure, and she's trying to hide away from him because she's scared of him, she hides in some reeds. And when he comes across her and finds her, he's so angry that he turns her into a reed and crafts her and whittles her into a flute that he plays. So when you see Peter Pan playing a flute, that's messed up stuff right there. But these guys, these guys, they loved it. They would have watched Disney all over. Like, oh, that's great. I know what that's all about. They loved Pan. And the thing is that Pan was a shepherd guy. He was kind of like half goat, half man. And if you wanted to, uh, to, if you wanted to have good herds, you'd sacrifice to Pan. If you wanted to have good fertility, because again, the guy was into that, you'd sacrifice to Pan. This was not a happy-go-lucky Jewish town. It was a very pagan town. So why in the world would Jesus go on a two-week field trip with a bunch of teenagers up to a pagan district where they're worshiping that kind of a God? None of their parents would have signed that permission slip. And yet, he takes them on up there. He goes on up there, and he, and he gets up there, and he's asking them these questions. Who do you say I am? Et cetera, et cetera. And then, and, and then he gets to that famous part of, of Peter calling him out and saying, yeah, and Jesus says, that's right, Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. All of that is in ruins now. They're still excavating that whole town, that whole area right there. Um, but if you look up on the hillside, above the whole town, the thing that they were all looking up towards was that pagan temple system towards Pan, especially the Grotto of Pan. And that's something that you can, they've been able to excavate down and, and find it. It's right there. This is a, a picture that Pastor Jason took um, when we were there this, uh, just last month. And um, that's actually a place where when you were sacrificing to Pan, you would take the animal that you've sacrificed, you would walk through the temple system, temple court, and you or a priest would then throw it into this cave, which has this like large belly down there that just throw it in, into the darkness. And they had a name for the cave. The worshipers of Pan called that something. They called it the gates of hell. So when Jesus takes his Jewish disciples to a pagan city, and he asks, who do you say I am? And they say, and Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. And Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, a lot of people, when they're looking at that word hell, it's, it's Hades in Greek, and, and so it's easily described as death or translated as death. Um, and, and so certainly, Jesus, the, part of Jesus' mission was to communicate the reality that death that is not going, death is not going to destroy the movement of the church, for sure. But we have to, again, understand the context and the location of where Jesus was saying this and what he was saying when he was saying it. I believe that, that there, Jesus was very much communicating the reality that we are in a place that you as Jewish kids feel intimidated because these people don't believe what we believe. They don't believe in me. They don't believe in one true God. They're, they're worshiping this pan, flute-paying God, shepherd God, dude. And that scares you. But you need to understand that my mission is greater than all of these spiritual forces that are at work here. All of the things that, that our enemy Satan is trying to convince people to believe. My mission is greater than that. You should not walk into this world intimidated because my mission is even greater than the gates of hell, the very place that these people worship and practice this idolatry. His mission is greater. But again, the question is, what is his mission? Well, it's greater than hell. It's also um, actually greater than their concept of winning. Um, and, and I would say our concept of winning. And you have to air quote that really hard to get that. But 
our concept of winning is success and incremental success. We're knocking it out of the park vocationally, relationally, etc. And Jesus seems to say, those things aren't bad, but my mission supersedes that. It's greater than that. And, and, and if Peter had that one moment where he was desperately wishing that his mom and his grandma and everyone else was there in the, that, that area where they heard Jesus say, good job, you got it right? He totally w- was glad they weren't there after this next moment. If you jump down two verses, it says this. He then began to teach them. This is Jesus. After, after, after Peter called him out as the Messiah, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. Oh, what? And after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and get this, this is, this is, this is so, this is like watching The Office where you feel bad for Michael Scott. Just hearing Peter put his foot so deeply into his mouth that you're just like, oh, man. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay, now you may have made a lot of bad calls in calling someone out or rebuking them. Have you ever rebuked God? Because Peter, honestly, after the resurrection, after Jesus goes back to Heavenly Father uh, down the road, you have to think that he's replaying all the reels. Like, man, we had such amazing times with Jesus. Remember when he taught us? And remember when he took us to Caesarea Philippi? Remember when I called him out as the Messiah? And then I rebuked him? You gotta go like, no. And then he's like, thank you. Thank you, God, that my mom wasn't here to see, hear that. But Jesus rebuked him. This is what Jesus said. But when Jesus turned to him and looked, when Jesus turned to him, turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. That's never a good nickname, by the way. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What are human concerns? Well, human concerns are, look, I, I want to survive. I want to be successful. I want to I be happy. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But Jesus is saying, listen, my mission actually is above and beyond these mere things that you make the 80 years that you're on this earth or 90 years that you're on this earth or 40, however long you live. You make these objectives your goal. And it's why people, if they live long enough, look back in regret He says, my kingdom, what I'm after, is after a much different definition of winning. Because I'm God, and you're you're really frustrated with the fact that you're seeing in me a different definition of winning. If you jump on over to page 355, this is um, actually in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32, Jesus does it again. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Jesus is saying, these guys are expecting, Jesus, you are so popular. And I know that maybe they're not all on the same page right now, but the religious, the people who really are the the cultural definers in our community are the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't get them completely, but you're amazing. Like you're the Messiah, you're God. They're going to get on board with that because they're super crazy religious. And when they do, eventually we're just going to move Rome out and it's going to be us and you're going to be the leader and we're going to be right there with you as your sidekicks. And Jesus said, no, it's actually going to come by the way of me suffering and me being rejected by all those cultural definers that you think are so important. And eventually, it's not only going to include suffering, it's not going to include rejection, but it's also going to include death, 
my death. And they could not understand that because that flew in the face of winning. This is not how you have a successful career, Jesus. Death and suffering are not part of triumphant, victorious life. And Jesus said, exactly. My victory is radically different than what you've defined it as, which actually causes us to ask the question, if I'm winning right now, am I truly winning? Like if things are just, at this particular season of my life, if I'm knocking it out of the park, things are good. Am I truly winning right now? And, and conversely, I mean, just on the opposite end of that spectrum, if I'm losing right now, am I really losing? Am I truly losing right now? Which, of course, brings us to the Wheel of Fortune. Now, some of you watch the wheel religiously. Some of you watch the wheel more than you read your Bible. How many of you like, like, like the Wheel of Fortune still? You're still, a game, you're still gaming on that. Okay, awesome. I don't know what, that, that show has been on, I think, one of the longest television shows in history. Pat Sajak and Vanna White have made some deal with the devil or Pan or I don't know who, but they look like the same way they looked in 85, which is weird. But the Wheel of Fortune, not just the Wheel of Fortune, really this whole concept of defining the concept of winning actually has to do with a lady named Nura, Nura and the Wheel. And you may have seen this um, on Facebook, or if you are a, a frequent watcher, you would have seen this back in 2015. Um, but they were having a veterans um, episode of Wheel of Fortune where it was just veterans. And there's this one lady named Nura, and she is killing it. I mean, she is knocking it out of the park. She's like, she's racking up the, the cash and all the different wheel things that you do on that show. She's doing great. And she's, and she's just really crazy smart. And you can pick, you're picking up on that. And so she is bound to just take this and go the whole distance. And then something happens. Something happens that's very, very odd and very, very weird. And it's unusual for someone who is doing so well. And you can see how unusual it is because Pat Sajak's face moves. And that's... <laughs> No, I'm serious. Now, the audio in this is, is hard to understand, but just watch what's going on and try to pick up what is she doing and look at Pat's face. You don't know that, Troy? What is wrong with you? Nora. Z. Say that again for me. Z. Did you say Z? Zulu? Z? You did say Z. Okay. Uh, no, there's no Z. Steve. R. Nora. Down, letter. Nora? Right. Call a letter. Steve? Wonder what letter Nora will call. X! X. There's, there's no X. Steve? No B. Nora? Steve? F. Two Fs. Footprints. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. And not on the board in a little way, in a big way. Uh, you ended up with $6,400. Thank you, Steve, very much for being here. Appreciate it. Troy, you won $4,300. Hope you had a good time. We enjoyed having you here. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.
May I ask you a question? Sure. Now, there were, you called some unusual letters in that, in that round. That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, that was an unsatisfactory answer, but uh, she's under. She's not under oath. There's nothing I can do. But she's the big winner, 13000 <laughs> What was she doing? She was throwing the game. Why? She knew she's already winning, and she can continue to rack up that cash. And she looks over, and she sees two of her fellow servicemen, brothers. And she decides that she's going to win a different way. She's actually going to say Z and X, or just stand looking blankly even though everyone knows she's smarter than the other two guys. So that these guys could actually rack up more cash and walk away with more. The thing I love about that clip um, is the clue. Remember what the clue was? What are you doing? And then I love what the puzzle was. Following footprints. Because that's what she was doing. Whether she knows it or not, um, that's exactly what a Christian does. When we're following the footprints of our rabbi, when we're following the footprints of our savior, we're operating in a way that's counterintuitive to the rest of this world, who's really about the survival of our own fittest. Jesus lays out a unique counterintuitive model of saying, we actually win by losing. We actually gain by by giving. And and, and as we're going through this world, this mission that Jesus is all about is not about the, the, the number one priority in my life is not about putting me forward first and foremost. The number one mission in my life is actually how do I love God and love others more? My life, if it's modeled after my Messiah, after my Savior, is actually one of giving. That his mission has a totally different definition of what winning is. But again, what is the mission? It's, it's, it's bigger and greater than hell. It's bigger and greater than our definition of winning. But what is it? Well, we also know that it's, it's stood in the face of distance. If you've got uh, your Bibles, it's in John chapter 11, or jump on over to page 359. This is the famous passage where Jesus' friend, one of his good, good friends, Lazarus, dies. And, and Lazarus' sisters are, are one by one progressively going up to him and saying, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. If, you, if you're looking on page 359, it's about the fifth paragraph from the bottom. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. If you jump down to a couple verses to 32, it's on page 360, second paragraph, second first full paragraph. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who come along with her also weeping, He was moved, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. This is not not the description of a single tear. This is not not a description of just having a little cry. The word troubled and that word, we see Jesus actually 
being angry. He, have you ever been angry at death? He is angry. He's angry this happened to his friend. Why did this happen to Lazarus? Now, he knows why, but it still is registering why, why, why. He's looking at, the, in, at death right in the face. Why? Why is this happening? And it's breaking him on the inside. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind? Could he not who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. In the King James Version, it says he stinketh. So there you go. <laughs> and then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And we're going to talk about the next week, the political ramifications of Jesus's brash decision to do this. This actually led to some bad stuff for him. We'll talk about that next week. But the, the truth is, is that in this, we see Jesus doing something. He's going up to something that is the, as ancient as the earth, as far as what's happened to humanity, and went face to face with the distance that we have between us and God. Distance is the great unraveling of humanity, and it started when we first broke with our Creator. When we first broke with our Creator, all of a sudden the great unraveling of humanity began. Not only were we, we, we broken in relationship between us and our Creator God, but that break also caused a break in everything else. Every aspect of life has a shelf life and an expiration date. Everything is distant, and we see this in disease or sickness. You know, remember last time you were sick? You might be really sick right now. Just let the people around you know. But remember last time you were really sick, and you're just like, I'm never going to feel normal again. Remember that? You're just like, I'll never take for granted one more day that I'm healthy. And then you get healthy, and you forget about it. But, but when, you're in, when you're sick, you're just like, I'm never going to feel good again. Or if you've been injured, or you've just had surgery, you're like, oh my gosh, I... Every time I take a step, it's pain. I will never, ever take for granted this because from where I am and the distance to how I used to feel seems like the Grand Canyon. The, the distance from me feeling normal, the Grand Canyon. If you, get, if, you can, if you get some type of disease that is a lifer, you walk with the reality and you see other people who are taking, it, taking for granted a life that's not inhibited the way that you are. And you're like, there's a great distance between what I'm going through and what you're going through. Jesus in his miracles, he comes into situations. Some people don't believe the Bible because they say Jesus did things super, totally unnatural. He went up to someone who's blind and he makes that person see. That's unnatural. And on, on one level, they're totally right. But on another level, actually, no, Jesus was doing the most natural thing imaginable. What's unnatural is the fact that our bodies have maladies that separate us by a great distance from us and what God intended in our original creation. Sickness, disease, those things are distant from God's original creation. Jesus comes over and he actually makes, does the most natural thing possible by returning this guy or this lady or that kid 
to the natural state that they were originally created in, which is proximity to God's dream for them. He comes into death, and we see it with Lazarus, where all of a sudden, death is not natural. Like, it's natural to us because it's so frequent and common, but it's not natural in the original creation. It's unnatural. And so what Jesus does, who's God, he comes in and he sees the unnatural distance from what God intended, and he closes that gap. He destroys the distance and brings that person back to life. Those are the immediate results of sin. Broken relationships, immediate results of sin. Jesus has got an amazing ability to come in and break that distance and bring us back to God's ideal. And ultimately, his ultimate mission was far greater than just that. That was just like like the movie trailer for the actual film that he was doing, which was the cross. The cross, on the cross, he did the ultimate breaking of this distance between us and God. Our sin causes an unfathomable and insurmountable distance between us and God. We are dead in our sin. And because we're so distant, God himself came near. Jesus came to us and he broke that distance so that we could come back to him. And so the reality is, is that when we look at the mission of what Jesus did, he came to destroy, to reverse the effect of sin, the distance from God in all of its forms, eternally, And we even see it in our immediate reality. But the truth is, again, the question is, what is the mission? If his mission is just greater than these things, what is the mission? I'm just going to give it to you in one word. I'm going to give it because it's not a formula. It's not even a prayer. Jesus came to earth for this one thing, to bring to us this one thing. The mission of Jesus was, in fact, Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to bring us himself I mean, think about it. Go back and look through the whole thing. When Jesus, because Jesus came to this earth, we see that the man, that's part of the mission. The fact that God became man so that we are going through this world, we will never ever again feel like we are alone. We don't have to. Why? Because God did that for us. We'll never have to feel like we're not loved because God, the creator of DNA and photosynthesis, actually cared so much to suffer and die on the cross for you and me. He did that. And his message was Jesus. Because he was proclaiming the kingdom, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And the scriptures are saying that the king is, in fact, who? Jesus. Jesus is saying, you want to know what the, the problem is with your business? You want to know what the problem is with your marriage? You want to know what the problem is, is with reality right now, is that it's not filtered through the perspective that I have. And again, that does not mean that it's going to look winning the way the world is going to quantify and qualify winning. But my kingdom actually flips the script on what your life should be. And if you're willing to follow my lead, you will suffer and you will be pushed back and it's going to be controversial. But the reality is that my kingdom is still controversial for you. You're still going to be believing messages that pleasure is the ultimate source of your happiness. But you've forgotten that, Jesus, I have come into this world to bring you the ultimate pleasure, which is found far greater than anything you could take, drink, or kiss. That ultimate pleasure is actually discovered in a connection with God. And you've been looking in all the wrong places. You're you're, you're looking for for wholeness, but you've rejected the, the only one who could be your healer. The one who actually brings you wholeness in the midst of disease, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of sickness, is still Jesus. See, see and, not, and the mission, when we understand the mission, we, we hear all of a sudden now things that Jesus said that I've not come here to judge the world, but to seek and save who? The lost. That's all of us here. We are all lost until we meet Jesus. We still need him. 
For some of you in here, you, you, you've actually, you've gone through your life and you've tried to make everything else the priority except for him. And so if you feel distant from God, that, that's a, there's a reason for that. It's because you are. And that is unnatural. The most natural thing for you as a human being, the way that you're the most human, you, is to be in close proximity with God, but you can't do that on your own. You can't do that by being a good person, a good citizen. You can't do that by being, by being more moral than someone else. The only way is for you to receive what Jesus did for you. Do you feel close to him? If you are a Christian, I don't know if it was when you were like a kid, when you were eight years old, or it was eight months ago or eight minutes ago, if you're a Christian and you feel distant from Jesus, why? Why do you feel distant from him? Could it be that every relationship on, on earth goes through a process of distancing because all of us as humans, we walk away from one another in our service, in our, in, our, in our love, in our sacrifice. And we do that with Jesus too. And the truth is, is that what Jesus did on the cross is the very thing that gives us the ability time and time again to be brought back. You are not too far gone. You are not too off, off the grid from his love or his grace for you to actually walk in and walk in the proximity where you walk out of this room knowing you're walking with Jesus, where you walk into your workplace, your school, walking with Jesus. You walk into the stress and the severity of, of whatever you're going through with Jesus. You are not alone. You're, it's not for you. It's not for your own glory. It's for him. And all of a sudden you have a perspective that is radically different than one where it's focusing on any other thing. Jesus has come to remind you that his mission is for 2018 just as much as it was for the first century. His mission is himself. Do you have him? Are you walking with him? We're coming up on Easter, right? And again, like I said last week, kind of a big deal for Christians because this, that's what everything hinges on. If you're a Christian, one of the things that we have to realize is that we're surrounded by a whole bunch of people who don't know Jesus and maybe, maybe they've got good reasons not to believe in him. Maybe they were given a lot of good information why he is not believable. But you do believe in him. I believe in him. Wouldn't it be awesome if they understood and heard the gospel and, and they responded to him? We can't make that happen. Only the Holy Spirit can. But what if we actually took steps this year to say, okay, who is one person or two people that need to be here? I don't care how packed this room is on Easter. That means zilch to me. But what means a whole bunch to me is knowing that there's some people here who aren't convinced, who doubt big time, but get a chance to hear the gospel and then to watch as God unlocks the, the locks in their heart one by one. Not something I can do, not something you can do, but he can we live in a world who, knew, who needs, still needs, Jesus. And so do we. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the fact that in the midst of our greatest need, you provided the only solution, yourself. Lord, life is complicated. Our decisions are stressful and, and have so many variables in them. But Lord, perhaps one of the most simple, maybe not easy, but simple decisions we could possibly make is to surrender to you who are our creator and our savior. It's simple only because of the fact that we don't have to do anything to qualify or earn it. 
The only thing, Lord, that we can do to qualify for your salvation is to acknowledge the reality that we are broken. Lord, for anyone who's here right now that, that is distant from you because they've never, ever started following you, they've never asked you for forgiveness, Lord, I pray that in, that in this moment right here, they'll experience not only the opportunity, but they'll take it and obediently surrender to you. Put their trust in your work for them on the cross, not the work that they could do to make themselves good. And Lord, I pray that you help them walk out of here with the full awareness that they're walking with you, Jesus, that they are not alone. Lord, for those of us that are believers in this room, and there's a lot of us in here that are believers, we, we say that we're followers of you, Lord, but we know how easy it is to grow distant, bridge that gap, destroy the distance, bring us close to you, bring back the vibrancy and the hope that we have that defies death and hell and disease, the distractions from uh, making life all about ourselves. Lord, just destroy it all, clear it away, give us a blank slate, and let us walk totally fresh as people who are following you. And Lord, when we see the world that is impacted through that, first off in our own hearts and lives, and then in the people around us, we will give you the thanks and the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. See you next week.